Happy birthday, Mr. President, or whatever it was. Michelle, Michelle, there'll be no other smell. (laughs) Wow, you're really a songwriter. They write themselves, Michelle. Hi, Geordie. I love how you're doing. I was about to say how the fuck are you how the fuck am i i'm in that kind of mood i'm in a i'm in a sweary mood bit sweary today yeah charming charming i tell you what's charming the fact that we are a podcast (laughs) well i don't even know what i'm trying to say i what i don't know what i'm trying to say more than she's a born entertainer ladies and gentlemen oh jesus it's not a good start what's happening just trying to say welcome i haven't even had anything to drink yet i'm drinking tequila are you serious? I'm serious. Had I known you were drinking tequila, yes, maybe I should go and get myself a little shot or something. Anything. Too late. All good. But are we introducing ourselves, Michelle, or are we just giving everybody a cocktail menu? We can introduce ourselves. Hello, eavesdroppers. I'm Michelle. She's Michelle. I'm Geordie. Hello. Hey, did we ask you to vote? Because I think you have to vote if you like it. If you like this podcast, please do vote. I discovered this morning, Michelle, I don't know if you got my email, I discovered that you're supposed to verify the vote. So once you've voted on the British Podcast Awards for the listener's choice and you've ticked eavesdropping, then you get an email that says, please verify your vote. Mine was buried. So please, everybody, please go back and check that you have verified the vote. They don't make it easy to vote, let's face it. So it's a bit of a palaver. Whether or not you actually managed to vote, we do appreciate the effort. But yes, Geordie's right. Please check if you verified. But we love that you make the effort for us. Do you know what? You've made so much effort for us and we'd like to make some effort for you. So here's a banging podcast episode. <laughs> banging. <laughs> That's all we've got for you. <laughs> but we have been talking about merch, haven't we, Michelle? Oh, we have. You know, we've got ideas. Hold on to your panties. It's coming. <laughs> Pick up your panties and stay. That can be on the arse. <laughs> Pick up your panties and go on the front bottom. Pick up your panties oh. and stay on the back bottom. <laughs> Do write in with any ideas for slogans and jingles and ideas for merchandise, like some, I don't know, some, what do you call it? Slogans? Is that the right word? Or um, little sayings. Sayings. Hey, Michelle, what's new in the world? Well, Sinead O'Connor is dead. Oh, that's nice the way you said it like that. Yes, it's very sad. It is very sad. And do you know what? I kept thinking, when are the conspiracy theories going to start up no. with that? Because, well, you never know. She was a troubled soul. She'd only just moved back to London three weeks before she died. She was living in Lambeth. Cannot figure out where. Have not been able to sleuth that. So if anyone knows, please write in. Her child had committed suicide the year before, and I think she was heartbroken. So there's a lot of speculation around that. The police are treating it as not a suspicious death at the moment. But, you know, I just keep thinking there's going to be some kind of conspiracy theory. I don't know if I'm too much in the world Mm. of Kurt Cobain. I think you are. We may never find out how she passed away. And, you know, it was very sad that her her youngest child, I think, Shane, his name was, did take his own life. And I'm sure that's a very, very difficult thing to recover from. Plus, there was childhood abuse. And she's been a star since she was like 19 or something. She made that album, The Lion and the Cobra, when she was about 19 or 18. It's been well documented. She's had a lot of mental health 
issues over the years. You would, wouldn't you? You just would, I think, if you were an outspoken woman in the music industry and you were young. Yeah. It's funny, you know, we were reading the audiobook, listening to actually, an audiobook <laughs> by a Nickelodeon star on our holiday, on our driving holiday across France. My daughter really loves this actress. What's her name? Jeanette, I want to say McCready, McCurdy. She's from a Nickelode- two Nickelodeon shows, Sam and Cat, which was the spin-off of the original show that uh, my daughter loved called iCarly. Dreadful fucking shows. Oh my God, they're such brain rot. Apparently, there's this guy, the creator of the show, who she calls the creator in this whole biography, who was quite sleazy and nasty, a bit of a, a junior version of... Weinstein. Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Bit of a junior version of... Harvey Weinstein and Ooh. apart from that she also had some eating disorders issues and she, you know she had a stage mum pushy stage mum all sorts of stuff and at the end of it I mean there was also some very inappropriate things in there for young children's ears we had to go la 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 mm. really quick for the blowjob scene no spoilers oh god the end of it we all looked at each other and said wow what a life no wonder it's so difficult for people who have fame at a young age it can be really stunting for people's development yeah. i think but this woman's done an amazing job you know she's come out the other side she's a writer now it was quite the read. It's called Why I'm Glad My Mum Died or something like that. I'm sorry. Oh, Jesus. Well, okay. It's relevant. It was a really good. It's called I'm Glad My Mum, My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. That's it. I think I've got it right now. Well, I'll link that up in the show notes. But I did want to say, Michelle, you know that they're talking a lot about UFOs right now in Congress. Yeah. I know. Trying to confirm the fact that they are real, that they are out there, that there is evidence. And everyone keeps telling me like it's going to be something exciting for me. And I'm like, yeah, I read the report. All it says is they're real, but we can't say any more than that. That's what they always fucking say. Not even they're real. It's more like we have evidence of non-human or non-earth-based technology or non-earth-based life forms, but you'll have to wait for further information or something like that. It's just such a crock. But a few episodes ago, we talked about the whistleblower who came forward and said, listen, I worked on the US government projects. They've got alien spacecraft that they're reverse engineering. Everyone's tried to poo-poo it. I don't know what's real anymore. The US government has been saying and doing shit to cover up people's testimonies about being abducted and all of their mind control stuff and aliens and UFO. Like, so what's with the distraction technique now then? What know. are they trying to hide? What else is happening in this world today that they have to suddenly say, look up there, don't look down here? Yeah, but there's, there's nothing, is there? Or unless it's something to deflect from Trump? Well... Not deflect. I, there must be something else going on. I'm thinking it's more to do with Ukraine or something. Who knows? Do you know what? We won't know until probably a few weeks down the line. If that. If ever. And that is our current and controversial corner. <laughs> Done and dusted. Bing bong. Or wreck off your dag. Piss off. No, I can bury you. fucked. See, See you next, next Tuesday. Give me black dog up. Yeah. So, Geordie, I didn't know much about what you were doing this week. All I knew was that we were looking into accidental deaths. Yes. I came across an accidental death, but honestly, I'm just going to own it. It's a pretty fucking tenuous link here in terms of 
accidental deaths. Okay. Yeah. I'm really making you excited for this, aren't I? <laughs> Edge of seat stuff. Well, I don't know. Everyone knows about this. I'm doing a little mini dive into Marilyn Monroe. Oh. Ooh, ooh, indeed. I'm just going to start you off by talking a little bit about her because we all know she was a fucking icon. She was the blonde bombshell, seven-year itch, gentleman prefer blondes. She was controversial in that she was one of the first women who did nude photographs. Really? And owned it as an actual star. You know, because before she became famous, she'd done what was dubbed the red velvet photos. Oh, yeah. It's her naked in front of a red velvet curtain. She did them all before she was famous and kind of just forgot about them. And of course, that shit resurfaces. resurfaces. And in fact, Hugh Hefner, the fucking scumbag, he bought the rights to those photos without ever giving her compensation and without ever getting her permission, launched Playboy on the back of that. That was the first issue. Was it? Yeah, he was such an asshole. Of course, when she was famous, they said, oh, you know, we've got these photos of you. And she was like, yeah, you do. That's me. Mm -hmm. I did it when I didn't have much money. Next. (laughs) And it was really one of the first times that it didn't ruin someone's career. So she's kind of amazing. Marilyn Monroe, we all sort of know about her. She was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926. Can you believe she was born nearly 100 years ago? Oh, my God. It's fucking amazing when you put it into context like that. Yeah. She had a pretty shitty childhood. She was diagnosed as a hyperactive kid. She was bullied at school. She was neglected by a family. She spent two years in an orphanage. She had 12 different foster homes. Oh, God. She was sexually abused as a kid. Oh, my goodness. She was physically abused her entire life. She was married at 16. To a guy called James Doherty, just to get out of foster care. She had two more shitty marriages. One to Joe DiMaggio, who was a piece of shit and treated her badly. And also to Arthur Miller, who also was a piece of shit and treated her badly. Did he? What did he get up to? Oh, man. He was so controlling and he? he wanted to be the star in that marriage. And just put her down. I could go into this, but I'm really not going to because you can deep dive into her awful life because so much of it is really well documented. Instead, what I'm going to do today is look at the day she died. Really look at, was this an accidental death? I'm going to take you back to August 4 and probably actually turning into the morning of August 5th, 1962, when Marilyn was found lying naked Naked, you know, on her bed in her LA home. Why did you say naked? I mean, look, I know she famously said, when someone said, what do you wear to bed? And she said, Chanel Chanel number five. five. You know, she was known for supposedly sleeping naked, but I just feel that she wasn't found in a nighty. She She was found naked on her bed. And, you know, this whole thing of accidental death, if it wasn't, and there are questions around this, which we'll get to later. Did somebody just make her naked to just remove her dignity? I don't know. That's why I said like she was found naked. And also, I'm going to say she was found clutching a telephone receiver. Oh. You know, like old school curly cord kind of yeah. telephone, clutching that phone, which I'm just going to say, I can't help but wonder. Was she calling for help? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hmm. Tragic thing is she was 36 years old. Oh, wow. When she died. And 
immediately from all the things I just told you about troubled childhood. She also had like depression, anxiety. She was on loads of pills. I mean, she was almost like a walking fucking pharmacy. She was on loads and loads of medication to like give her energy in the day to put her to sleep at night to counteract the side effects of all these drugs. So when the police found her, they immediately chalked it up as suicide. But like Kurt Cobain a few weeks ago and so many other stars, conspiracy theories immediately began. It would, wouldn't it? Because she was the most famous woman on the planet and she was known for having affairs with very influential men. Exactly. And I will touch upon that. It was chalked up as suicide, but it was also thought of as, was it an accidental overdose? Which it was looking like, wasn't it? That was actually what it went down on paper as being. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to circle back to the official version of events. Marilyn had anxiety. Apparently, there was a psychiatrist that actually did diagnose her as manic depressive. And she supposedly used a lot of amphetamines, like I said, during the day. And barbiturates help her sleep at night. Apparently, in the reports I read, in the last two months of her life, there were at least 15 different prescriptions for different pills that were filled by her personal doctor, which was a guy called Hyman Engelberg. Why Hyman? Why does it have to be Hyman the first name? That's not right. He was probably... Jewish because Hyman I think is a Jewish name and maybe it's a very typical name but come on all I can think of is Vag when I hear that name. Of course. She had two doctors this guy Hyman and a psychiatrist uh, Ralph Greenson. Look supposedly these two had spent weeks trying to wean Marilyn off a drug called Nembutol, which I think they had both previously prescribed to her to help her sleep. I think they could see it was fucking her up. So they then prescribed her a different drug called chloral hydrate. Oh my God, that sounds deadly. It sounds fucking terrible. But on August 3 in 1962, the day before she died, I read that Marilyn actually went to a chemist on Wiltshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills in LA and got Finergan. Oh, I love Finergan. I love fucking love Finergan too. Whenever I go to Australia, you can buy it over the counter there. I always stock up on it. It's brilliant. I'm on Finergan whenever I can these days. I <laughs> bloody love it. <laughs> it lets you normalize your jet lag. You can sleep through the night. It's got mm. this weird half-life situation and you don't feel drowsy in the morning. It's amazing. It's the other little blue pill. Ooh. I don't know if it's the same Finergan in the 60s as it is now, but the Finergan back then was an antihistamine. It still is. Right. Not just help you sleep, it will also help your allergies. And Finergan will be taking cashbacks for that. Anyway, (laughs) she got that prescription for Finergan and also Nembutol. Even though her doctors had spent weeks trying to wean her off. off. Yeah, it's just some, what did I say it was? It's a barbiturate basically. Yes. At this stage, it's not looking good for Marilyn. But what happens next is really fucked up. And when you research this on the internet, Geordie, there are so many different accounts of what went down that night. Right. But I'm just going to go with this one because you've got to go with something. And like I said, thousands of different theories here. But on August 4th, 1962, Marilyn apparently called her psychiatrist, Dr. Greenson, around four o'clock in the afternoon because she wanted him to come over to the house and have a counselling session. 
apparently she really respected him. He was kind to her, which is kind of more than a lot of the other men in her life. She really Mm. loved his family. And this is weird. She actually asked Dr. Greenson if he could adopt her. Oh. She's a woman in her 30s. It's a bit weird. With that in mind, he probably should not have been treating her because that's breaking some boundaries. It's kind of borderline ethical. Confidentiality and ethics and boundaries. Yes, you're right. It's not on. I don't think so. He's still treating her and he did go to the house And they had a counselling session. And in fact, later he said she did seem depressed, but he wasn't too concerned because he'd seen her in worse shape than that. So it didn't trigger any alarm bells for him that day. He left Marilyn's house around 7.15 that evening. And he apparently asked Marilyn's housekeeper, Eunice Murray, to keep an eye on her. Then Marilyn apparently got a call from her not really, but kind of, stepson Joe DiMaggio Jr after which she then called Dr Greenson again and said did you take my Nembutol that question kind of came out of the blue for him because he'd spent the last few weeks weaning her off it he didn't know that she had gotten another prescription no he thought she'd binned it off when he questioned her about it she was like oh 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 don't worry and ended the call right then she apparently rummaged through the house looking for those pills and eventually she found her Nembutol on a bedside table in the guest room where her publicist Pat Newcomb had stayed the night before. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Pat because Marilyn and Pat were supposedly besties but the day before she died they'd fallen out because and I'm going to say this even though there's no hard evidence for this it's all just rumors Apparently, Marilyn had been dumped by Bobby Kennedy. Oh, yes. Brother of JFK. Yeah. Bobby at this stage was Attorney General of the United States. And good mate Pat, her publicist, stepped in and was now having an affair with Bobby. Oh, <gasps> cheeky. Now, some people say that Marilyn was fucking heartbroken by yeah. this. And also kind of furious about the whole thing because yeah. not only was she not with Bobby... But her mate, Pat, was with him. She was four years younger than her, apparently Mm. quite pretty. I mean, this is fucking Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Iconic sex symbol of her generation. Plus, you know, Pat broke girl code by going out. Yes, absolutely. That's shitty. Yeah, with Bobby. So I don't approve. No, but I will just preface this by saying both Marilyn and Pat, if this is true, were having affairs with the same married guy. So he's kind of a fucking oh, he's creep. Married. He's a creep. He's the dick. And I know he died and I feel bad, but hey, yeah. don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Who do you think you are? Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> <sighs> but, you know, the theory is that Marilyn was so upset by this news that she went to a room around eight o'clock that night, told Eunice, the housekeeper, that she decided she was going to go to bed early. And according to Eunice, Marilyn closed her bedroom door. And that was the last time Eunice saw Marilyn alive. Eunice herself says she went to bed shortly after that, around 8.30 that night. But it turns out that Marilyn didn't go to sleep. It's an early bedtime, isn't it? A bit earlier than I do. I don't go to bed that early. Right. Because she was meant to go to a dinner party with a guy called Peter Lawford. Well, he was holding the party. She was meant to go. And a quick little roundup here about Peter. He's an actor, isn't he? Part of the Rat Pack with Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. He was also... 
the brother-in-law of JFK and Bobby because he was married to their sister Pat. Not the same Pat. Oh, that they're all called Pat. I know, because I was going to say, no. not the same Pat because that would be incest and rather disgusting. Yeah. It's another connection linking her to the Kennedys. But back to Peter Lawford. Mm-hmm. Marilena called Peter that night. She said, I'm not coming. Not coming to this dinner party. He called her a few times saying, no, come on, come, come, come. She kept saying no. But he is also quoted as saying that it was pretty obvious from the sound of her voice that Marilyn was fucked up on pills, slurring, whatever. She'd said something to him, according to him, like, I just want you to know that everything you've done for me is beautiful. I can't thank you and Pat enough. Say goodbye to Pat and Bobby. Say goodbye to the president. Say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. And then the phone went silent. At this point, Peter Lawford says he was a bit concerned. So he tries to call her back, but the phone's off the hook. So he tries again and again, but same thing. He can't get through. Receiver's in her hand, clutching. Mm-hmm. At 8.15, he calls a guy called Milt Evans, who is a talent agent and a bit of an insider with the Kennedy administration. They're all related to the Kennedys. Oh, yeah. All of them. These are all testimonies from people who are close to the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. Why he calls him, I don't fucking know. But Peter Lawford begs Milt to try and get hold of Marilyn and asks him, please, just get in a car, go over to a house, check on her. Mm, But Milt says, hmm, maybe that's not such a great idea because if something happened to Marilyn... He'd get the blame. He'd get the blame. And then Peter Lawford's like, well, maybe I should go. And he's like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, not a good look for the brother-in-law of the president, which I think is kind of fucked up. Yes, because she might need help. She's not necessarily dead. No. I might get the blame. How about going and being the hero and helping this woman? But also, does Milt know something? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Sounds like a guilty comment to me. Yep. And also, if Peter Lawford was really so concerned, who fucking cares what the press says? Just go over there. Like you say, be a hero. I mean, look, he was having a dinner party, but if you're worried about someone, you just fucking go. You know, was Peter's concern a bit of an act? I don't know. I'm just putting that out there. Mm. He's married to a Kennedy, so. And the other thing is, Milt says to Peter that before either of them try to go there or do anything, they should call a lawyer. What the fuck? What the actual fuck, right? So at 8.45, Marilyn's lawyer, Mickey Rudin, was called. And apparently he was a well-known shark celebrity lawyer whose client's Also were Frank Sinatra and actually Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Taylor. Well, he calls Eunice, the housekeeper, to ask, is everything okay with Marilyn? Eunice apparently says, as far as I know, everything's fine. But later, she apparently said she knew that Marilyn was in a bit of a bad mood over the Pat and Bobby thing and she didn't want to disturb Marilyn. So she didn't bother checking to see if Marilyn was okay. And then years later, apparently Eunice said, if she'd sort of heard more urgency in Mickey Rudin's voice when he called her that night, mm-hmm. she probably would have knocked on the door, but she didn't. We kind of know what happens next. Or do we? Marilyn is found dead. But if we look at the coroner's report, it apparently says that there was a high concentration of barbiturates in her liver, which we knew that she was taking the Nemputol, right? Which is a barbiturate. She found it in the end. Yeah. Yep. Which means that the pills were in her system and had to have been absorbed 
properly. If you look at that, it means Marilyn would have had to have died slowly at around 10 p.m. And like I said before, there are so many versions of events out there when it comes to Marilyn. But Eunice, the housekeeper, seems to have changed her story quite a few times over the years. In one version, she claimed she went to bed around 8.30 and that sometime after midnight, she woke up with a sense that something wasn't quite right. So she got out of bed to check the house and that's when she noticed the phone cord was going into Marilyn's room under the door. Now, she says this was a bit weird for Marilyn because she never slept with the phone in a room because she fucking hated it. She didn't want to be disturbed by phone calls. So Eunice also says that Marilyn's bedroom was locked. So in this version of events, she goes outside, looks through Marilyn's bedroom window, sees that Marilyn is lying face down on the bed, nude, with the light on. So she calls psychiatrist Dr. Greenson at 2 a.m. Hours later. Yeah. I don't know why she's not calling an actual fucking doctor or an ambulance or the police. Apparently, Dr. Greenson arrives less than five minutes later. Oh, my God. Really fucking quick. He gets a fire poker, like for the fireplace, smashes in the window so he can get into Marilyn's bedroom. And according to him, he says Marilyn's body was cold and blue and she was holding that telephone. So Greenson was the one that found her. Yes. In all versions of events. Yes. But then he tells Eunice, call Dr. Hyman, Engelbert. Oh, God. Yeah. Who comes over and then two hours later, that's when they contact the police. Two hours. What the fuck were they doing in two hours? It's so sketchy. And then in later reports, Eunice says that Marilyn's door didn't have a lock on it. So what is the truth here? Eunice also says... In other reports, she got up at midnight to check on Marilyn. And in another story, she says she woke up at 3 a.m. and called Dr. Greenson. It's all a bit much, isn't it? Then he discovered that Marilyn was dead. Then they called Dr. Ingleberg, who arrived at 3.50, which means if she was in fact dead when Dr. Greenson arrived, why weren't they calling the police immediately? Why were they changing the times? I don't know what to believe. But either way... The police pronounced Marilyn dead and the autopsy estimated that her time of death was between 8.30 and 10.30 at night. Gosh, okay. The toxicology reports revealing that the drugs in her system, which was mainly chloral hydrate and nembutol, were quite a few times over the lethal limit. But there were no signs of wounds or bruises on her body. There weren't? No, which is, I'm actually pleased about that. So Marilyn's doctors knew She'd been depressed and on pills for ages. So combined like combined with the fact that there didn't seem to be any obvious signs of foul play, the chief coroner of the LA County held a press conference to say Marilyn's death was caused by a self-administered overdose of sedative drugs, Okay. i.e. accidental death. Yeah. Or was it, Geordie? Or was it, Michelle? Tell us. Was it suicide? Was it accidental overdose? Geordie, there were theories. There are theories out there. Well, what are the theories? Pick a fave. I've got a few. <laughs> Obviously, Marilyn was really low because of the Pat and Bobby thing. But also, she'd been fired from a movie in April 1962 after one too many times of not turning up for filming. But put this in context, right? She was suffering from depression she most likely had a load of other untreated mental illnesses. Plus, she had endometriosis 
and she had gallbladder disease. So she was not a well woman. She was fired from that movie, but on August the 1st in 1962, just days before she died, Marilyn had signed a contract with 20th Century Fox to do two movies for $1 million. Oh, is that a lot of money back in those days? Big fucking money. And she had been rehired for that same movie that fired her in April. So she was not on the skids with her career. She was doing fine. Then, you know, like I said, the whole hoo-ha over her possibly being suicidal over her supposed breakup with Bobby Kennedy. But is that really a motivation for suicide? No, I don't think so. And also, there was no suicide note. And I know there's not always a suicide note, Mm. but apparently all those bottles of pills that we talked about, well, they were all neatly lined up on her bedside table, all with the lids on, which if you want to kill yourself, are you really worried about how tidy your room is? And would you really line those all up neatly? But you said the same thing about the Kurt Cobain thing where he had – all his drug paraphernalia or cigarettes or something or lighters neatly lined up. He had a pack of cigs all like neatly lined up with all his drug stuff in that cigar box. So you're right. Is there something else going on here? It's also been said in Marilyn's room, there was not even a glass of water. Nothing. How is she going to swallow all those pills? Right. Exactly. The head coroner, a guy called Thomas Noguchi, apparently said that in his opinion... What he found with Marilyn was not a typical suicide scene. Now, he collected and sent organ samples for analysis, but they were destroyed before the tests were done. Well, what are they trying to hide there? What do you think it is? Is it the Kennedys? They're all over it. I'm getting to the Kennedys. Also, he says his team took medical photos during the autopsy that went missing. So is this a fucking cover-up? The next thing I'm going to talk about is the Kennedys. Well, you have to because they're all over it. You have to. There was speculation about her affair with JFK. We all know she did that sexy birthday song to him. Happy birthday, Mr. President, or whatever it was. It was for his 45th birthday on May 19th, 1962, months before she died. And they were still having an affair at that time, apparently. Well, Jackie O did not even go to that massive event at Madison Square Gardens and it's hard to think that there wasn't something going on there now this is really gross apparently it was an open secret with JFK when he was done with his ladies basically Bobby got sloppy seconds oh my god JFK would pass the ladies on to Bobby so I don't know if that's true it's gross that's what was said and look they were an incredibly powerful family and if Marilyn had been with both JFK and Bobby, or even just one of them, yeah, she had a lot of potential to cause problems for them if yeah. she went public with the affairs. Or maybe she knows some secrets as well. Maybe there was a little bit of pillow talk. Geordie, you are fucking on the money. There's speculation. Very intuitive. After Bobby apparently finished with Marilyn, there's talk that she threatened to hold a press conference to tell the world about the shit she knew from being with him. And not just about the affairs, but about government secrets, including... UFOs! Really? About Roswell and aliens? Not even joking. I'm so happy you said that. And I'm so happy that I can put some alien shit into this episode (laughs) because why the fuck not? Bring it in. 
Apparently, there was a classified document that was released the day before Marilyn died that suggested that JFK had, like you say, maybe during some pillow talk, told Marilyn about some top secret UFO shit. And she wrote it all down, Geordie, because apparently there was a little red book full of secrets (gasps) that she was told or overheard from when she was with the Kennedys. Some people believe that Marilyn was killed by the Kennedys to protect the family. And to protect the government, secrets. Right. There's talk that she was meant to get a hot shot full of drugs to finish her off. However, I'm going to call bullshit on that because there were no needle marks found on her body. However, could someone have been feeding her drugs over a period of hours to make it look like a suicide? Right. Maybe like a housekeeper. Right. I'm just putting it out there. Eunice, what have you been up to? Eunice's stories changed a lot, so I'm sus on Eunice. Saying that, could Eunice have been threatened or coerced? Yes. What was her weak spot then, Michelle? Maybe they just said, fucking do this or I'll kill you. I mean, if your life's on the line or the lives of your loved ones, you will do bad shit. Which also brings me to some conspiracy theories about the mafia. Oh. There are theories out there that suggest the mafia killed Marilyn. To punish the Kennedys. How's it going to punish them? There's always been talk that the Kennedys and the Mafia were, you know, in each other's pockets. With the Mafia Mm. supposedly helping JFK win the election. Obviously, then JFK, when he was made president, went and gave Bobby the job of Attorney General, which I think was meant to go to a Mafia connection, and he reneged on it. Yes. Well, it's not on, is it, giving it to your brother? And that pissed off, apparently, the mafia. It's theorised that Marilyn's death was just meant to be like a first taste of what was to come Mm. because JFK was assassinated months later in 1963, Bobby in 1968. Yes. And Chicago mafia boss Sam Giancana supposedly told his mistress that he did in fact kill Marilyn. And this was backed up by Sam Giancana's brother and nephew in a book called Double Cross, where they say Sam admitted to getting rid of Marilyn with Nembutol, but in a suppository right up her ass. Apparently, actually, according to the autopsy, the lower portion of her colon was discolored. What? Could that have been from a suppository? Surely there would be a casing, right? A suppository casing like found up there. So I'm a little bit skeptical about that. Okay. But talking of putting things up Marilyn Monroe's bumhole, we're going back to the sketchy housekeeper Eunice here because when police arrived at the scene at 4.25 a.m., they saw Eunice doing a load of washing Uh at 4.30 in the morning. That's weird. Fucking suspicious. Could she have been cleaning up evidence? Or she just wasn't tired anymore because she went to bed at stupid o'clock, 8.30. Who's doing a load of fucking washing (laughs) when your house is crawling with police? It it doesn't add up. It's weird. It doesn't add up. It's definitely suspect behaviour. But back to the mafia, Mm -hmm. it's also been said that they were ordered to kill Marilyn by the CIA. Yes, I've heard that. And that the CIA killed her via a Nembutol enema that was squirted up her asshole. Oh, why is it always up the bum? They say oh. that it was Eunice who gave her the enema because Eunice has right. openly admitted that in the past she often gave enemas to Marilyn for health reasons. So I think there's actually legs to that theory and that could be a reason why she popped the washing machine on at 4.30 in the morning 
because maybe there were some filthy sheets that she didn't want anyone to see after that enema. And also, you know, I said about Marilyn's body kind of being face down, naked. Apparently it... Easy access. Easy access and also like kind of arranged, you know, not just like, oh, I, I took too many pills and I've just fallen on the bed. If we think about motive, why would the CIA want Marilyn dead? Don't know. Yeah, one theory is Bobby Kennedy would be hauled over the coals about it if she was found dead in mysterious circumstances and that he would most likely have to resign and then JFK would be brought down as well. So it was about keeping hold of their power. Mm -hmm. Also, at the scene of her death, there was a phone number written on a piece of paper next to Marilyn's bed that was the number of the White House. Oh. It's all pretty fucking murky. What is even more weird is the whereabouts of Bobby Kennedy on the day she died. According to his family, Bobby was on a ranch with them, south of San Francisco. Convenient. But 18 different witnesses, including one of Marilyn's neighbours and also a neighbour of Peter Lawford, says they saw Bobby Kennedy either in LA that day or at Marilyn's house the day she died. Right. Okay. What are you up to, Bobby? Putting enemas in Marilyn and stuff. With that in mind, and knowing that there were two hours where Dr. Greenson and Eunice did not call the police, could that have given Bobby time to, yeah, like you say, give her an enema, shove a suppository up there, who fucking knows, and then get out of LA so he couldn't be linked to her death. And also, this is weird, apparently the night she died at 20.10 a.m., Officer Lynn Franklin pulled over a Lincoln Continental for speeding. And who was in the back seat? Bobby Bobby. Kennedy. It's very murky, Michelle. Who was the driver? Bobby's brother-in-law. JFK. No, Peter Lawford. Peter Lawford. So who was so so worried about her not being able to go to the dinner party, but he could be pulled over in a car at midnight. Something is amiss. Why weren't any people being looked into or investigated why was it all hushed up because they were all the boss the boss of the country and it was all obviously very deep very deeply ingrained if you believe it yep there is all this speculation that her phone was bugged and i think that's actually true the tapes from the night she died were seized because they did have evidence of her phone being tapped but those tapes were destroyed and if she really was alone that night Well, there'd be nothing on those tapes anyway, right? But when the police went to get Marilyn's phone records from the phone company, they'd already been taken by the Secret Service. Is that CIA? No, it's different. So it's all fucking interlinked. I don't know what was going on because there's also another weird link. JFK was assassinated less than 18 months later by Lee Harvey Oswald, who was then murdered two days later by a guy called Jack Ruby, who was a well-known associate of Sam Giancana, mafia boss. Oh. Was that connected somehow? There's the JFK link. Was there really an FBI document that implicated Bobby Kennedy in Marilyn's murder that was buried? That was also mooted at hmm. the time. Geordie, all I'm going to say is, was she murdered? Was it suicide? Was it an accidental overdose? We will never know. And that's very unsatisfactory, Michelle. That's my accidental death (laughs) for you. Or was it? (laughs) Thank you. How real is real life? Not as real as you. Go and get real. Get real. It's an eavesdropping chitty chatty time.
Right, so now we're going to segue somehow from Marilyn to chimneys. <laughs> now, I don't really know how I'm going to make that connection, Michelle, but I will say... Back in the day before central heating, we had to have working fireplaces in all our homes to keep us warm. And chimney sweeps would employ children as young as three years old to climb in those narrow spaces and clean out the soot and other bits and bobs that get stuck in your chimney. Clearly very dangerous. And these little poor fellows, these little kids, would have to navigate all the twisty, turny, quite narrow spaces inside the chimneys of these Georgian and Victorian houses back in those eras. There are records of children becoming panicked and getting stuck and ultimately dying as a result of this horrifying job. So that's just a little history on the chimney. Why do we have chimneys? What used to happen in the chimneys? But did you know that people are still getting stuck in chimneys? What? Over the years, in modern day. It sounds very fucking Santa. I was looking for stories where people might have pretended to be Santa and gotten stuck, and I'm sure I've heard something about that before. But I do know this story, which is the badly decomposed body of a man called Kevin Goff, who was 43, and he was discovered in a solicitor's building's chimney in Derby on the 1st of May. That's in the UK. What, this year? It doesn't say. Sorry, I didn't get the date. I didn't get the date on that. It was a last-minute addition. <laughs> but the alarm was raised after the staff and builders who were working on the property noticed a bad smell, and they ordered a pest control company to come in and check it all out. And then they found him in there. They thought it was a possum, didn't they? They probably thought it was a possum, even though there's no such thing in this country. Oh, sorry. <laughs> a squirrel. squirrel. A squirrel. It could have been a squirrel. But the chimney breast and fireplace had been completely bricked up from the inside. <gasps> but the post-mortem exam said that Mr. Goff had brick marks across his back and chest due to being in a confined space, which wouldn't allow for his lungs to expand. Ooh. And his T-shirt was drawn up around his neck and other, another item of his clothing had blocked the top of the chimney. And he was identified by his fingerprints. Geordie, this is grim. Sorry, but that's just a little precursor because now I'm going to tell you something much worse. And these lovely stories were sent to me by an eavesdropper, Wren. Thank you, Wren. I don't know why she just suddenly started flinging me stories about chimneys. But here we go. This is from the news. In Bakersfield, California, 49-year-old doctor Jacqueline Cotterack, I'm going to call her, she turned up at her ex-boyfriend's house on the 26th of August. They're all August-based. Mm. This is coming out in August, this episode, 2023. Anyway, this was back in 2010. Dr. Cotterack, intelligent woman, she tried to gain access into William Moody's house, that's her ex-boyfriend, by using a shovel to try and break in through the back door after he refused to answer the door to her. He didn't want to see her, so he ran off by another exit and spent the night somewhere else. Oh. So obviously it was really done and dusted. That was bold of him, wasn't it? Well, I was going to say, she also sounds like a bit of a psycho, like bunny <laughs> boiler on the doorstep, like, I'm breaking well, she, in. She was just really wound up. Mm. She was really wound up because the bastard wouldn't open the fucking door. She might have been trying to return his toothbrush. Who knows? <laughs> but according to the police report, Dr. Cotterack climbed onto the roof of the house with a ladder. Oh removed the chimney cover and slid down the chimney feet first. She was reported missing three days later when she failed to turn up for work and there was a house sitter for some reason in the ex-boyfriend's house. That person noticed a bad smell coming from the oh, fireplace. No. So the firefighters were called out and they had to demolish the chimney, which took five hours. 
and in it they discovered her body wedged about two feet above the top of the fireplace. So she nearly fucking made it. Oh, God. It's, it's quite desperate measures, isn't it? To like slide down. Was she on drugs? No, I don't know. But I'm hoping these stories will act as a cautionary tale because, again, like the burglar before who was burglarising the solicitors when he got stuck in the chimney, the same thing in her autopsy showed that she'd suffocated because of pressure on her chest wouldn't allow her lungs to expand. And that's how she died. You expect a chimney to be the same width the whole way down, but I guess it narrows, narrows, narrows. Do you know what? I've got a chimney. I'll have a look. I won't, I won't go down. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll, I'll just stick my head. I'll just have a Don't. look. And maybe we should stop telling children that Santa comes down it because maybe they think it's cool to go up and down chimneys or something. Imagine if I kids went know. down there looking for a little present that maybe fell out of the sack. Not good. Yeah. So anyway, this guy, William Moody, the ex-boyfriend, he declined to comment on his relationship with Cotterack and what it was at the time of, their, of her death. However, he said that he was fed up with people commenting on the manner of her death. And he said... She made a horrendously bad decision and paid for it with her life. But moving on, I have another story from 2021 from a website called Strange Outdoors. This incident takes place in 2008, two years before Dr. Cotterack. You may have heard of it before. It's quite well known. I didn't realize until after I'd done my research. It's about an 18-year-old boy called Joshua Maddox who lived near a massive woodland park in Colorado. And after his parents' divorce, he stayed on with his dad and two sisters. He was easygoing. He enjoyed music and was popular at school. But sadly for his family, Joshua's older brother, Zachary, had taken his life when he was aged 18 in 2006, a couple of years before after suffering from severe depression. Apparently, this wasn't the case with Joshua. He seemed really bubbly and outgoing, was mm-hmm. a musician, quite well liked. One day in May 2008, Joshua went for a walk, but when he didn't arrive home that evening, his family became worried. And his father, Mike, called the police to report Josh missing five days later. So perhaps they were looking for him. Perhaps they thought, oh, he wants Mm -hmm. some space or something. That's why it took five days. His sister told the media that because Josh was 18, it was fair to assume that perhaps he had left town to start fresh somewhere else and chose to believe this is what happened to him. Also, everybody knew that he enjoyed the solitude of the woods, so maybe he'd gone off grid. But police had nothing to go on, so Joshua was was listed as a missing person. Fast forward, not necessarily fast, but seven years later, in August 2015, less than a mile away from Josh's house... A property developer called Chuck Murphy was demolishing an old wood cabin that he owned to begin work on a development for 32 new houses on the land. Right. The cabin was in pretty bad shape. It was rotting and it had been abandoned for several years. No one lived in it. Chuck had bought the cabin in the 1950s and it was formerly the Thunderhead Inn, which was a well-known watering hole and a gambling house and a brothel back in those days. Oh, it sounds exciting. So it had history, exactly, it had history. Chuck's brother had lived in the cabin until 2005, but since moving out, they used it for storage and no one ever went there. So now they started work on it. And just before the development began, Chuck noticed a terrible smell, which he assumed was to do with animals using the cabin as a nest. But while the workers were demolishing the chimney, they discovered, to their horror, the mummified body of long-missing Joshua, confirmed by his dental records. He was found in the fetal position with his legs above his head, so he'd gone head first down the fucking chimney. Oh, my God. 
Why? That's the question. There's a big mystery. It's a mystery. Mystery. It is a mystery. It's a mystery. There's so much mystery. Also, he was naked apart from a shirt and his clothes had been neatly folded and left inside the cabin. What's that about? Oh, look, he was on mushrooms or peyote or something. Was he? We don't know. Maybe he just like stripped off and then was like out of his mind and thought, oh, I just got to get in through the chimney. Maybe. That's not one of the theories presented in, in my research. Oh, sorry. So the building had not been searched seven years before when he had initially gone missing because... Why would they? It just looked like it had been abandoned. Exactly. And it was so remote and surrounded by tall pines. So even if he had been calling for help, no one would have heard anyway. Yeah. Like I said, this whole thing is a bloody mystery. The autopsy showed there were no drugs in Josh's system. Oh. But would it still be there if he'd been high on mushrooms? Yeah, I don't know. And he was mummified. Mummified, yes, exactly. There were no signs of trauma, no knife or bullet wounds or broken bones. And I guess you can tell if you're forensically examining the body and the, even if it was mummified. And no broken bones... They said that he didn't die instantly, though, very sadly, or that he died of starvation, or possibly that he died of starvation, but that can take several weeks. So whatever it was, it was a long time. Oh, man. Really sad. Oh, but man. they did say that dehydration and hypothermia are the only other causes of death that the coroner could speculate upon. And after that, a ruling of accidental death was made in 2015, speculating that Joshua had climbed into the chimney of his own accord, possibly to get into the cabin the same way that our previous lovely doctor did, then got himself stuck, subsequently died. Jesus Christ. However. Did aliens put him in there? No, it's not aliens, Michelle. Locals say the chimney had been built 20 years before and had been fitted with a thick wire mesh hung from steel hooks at the top to keep animals out and bits of nature out of the cabin. Mm -hmm. So some are hypothesizing that the grate could have corroded over time and that's why the investigators didn't see it in any of their photos. But to this, Chuck Murphy, the owner of the cabin, said all the metal had been removed and scrapped during the demolition. So it was in place previously. That's why the investigators didn't notice it in their photos. He'd already removed it. Right. But there was a metal mesh grate at the top of the chimney, stopping people from getting in. Hang on. He went down. There was something blocking his way. Yes. But it wasn't on top of the chimney. It was inside the chimney. Maybe it was in the chimney. It could have been in the chimney. Because if it was on top, he would have had to take the grate away, get in and then put the grate back. Exactly. It was a bit iffy. Mm. So the coroner reopened the case three days after his initial conclusion. And not just because of the mesh inside the chimney, it also came to light that a large wooden breakfast bar that had been torn from a wall in the kitchen had been dragged over to block the chimney from inside the cabin. Oh, this is getting sinister now. It is becoming sinister. Also, the way Josh's body had been found with his legs above his head and disjointed from his torso, I'm not quite sure what that means. It doesn't sound good. Indicates he would have had to have gotten into the chimney head first. Who does that? That's not a natural way to get into a small space, I don't think, from above. You want to come out. If you're going in intentionally, you want to come down and land feet first. Nobody wants head first. No, exactly. But the coroner felt that it would have taken two people to position him in this way. Oh. And something else unusual was what Josh was wearing when he was found, which is just a thin thermal shirt. The rest of his clothes, including his shoes and socks, and I believe his underwear as well, was inside the cabin folded up next to the fireplace. So he's naked from the waist down. 
As such, the revised autopsy report said the cause of death was accidental death, murder or undetermined causes. I mean, that's not a satisfactory conclusion. The poor family are like... Fuck me, what is going on? Oh, they've got no answers. But the only thing that the coroner could be certain of was that he went down the chimney and not up. But to this, Chuck Murphy, the owner of the cabin, says, there is no way that guy crawled inside that chimney with that steel webbing. He didn't come down the chimney. And he remained convinced that Josh's death was deliberate and suspicious. Hmm. Why would he strip down just to his undershirt, climb into a chimney, slide down, knowing that you'd be trapped? Yes, I mean, it does make more sense that somebody shoved him up the chimney. Maybe. I didn't think of that. Yeah. The police began receiving anonymous tip-offs of leads and suspects that had been bragging about (gasps) killing Josh and being responsible. One of whom was in jail in Texas, having previously been in Seattle and Portland prisons in addition to a long history of violent crime. And the informant said this man had been seen with Josh. But investigators didn't have much to go on from a seven-year-old sighting and still believed it would have taken more than one person to push him inside the chimney. Mm. But I found a Reddit post, Michelle, from 2015, which names the suspect. The post says the following words. I went to high school with this skinny, dorky hippie named Andy, who played guitar in a band. I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh started hanging out with him and then went missing. Turns out that in addition to becoming a lot scarier looking, Andy had indeed headed down to New Mexico where he found himself shooting the shit with the caretaker of a disabled guy and got invited over to their apartment. Caretaker gets in the shower and when he comes back out, the disabled guy is stabbed to death and Andy's gone. No! I know. When Andy got arrested, he also claimed to have killed a woman in Taos and stuffed her body in a barrel. The cops had indeed found a woman stuffed in the barrel in Taos, but already had somebody in custody for it and decided to stick with that guy instead. Years later, I found out that the caretaker had died in a bar fight and without him, the cops didn't have much in the way of evidence somehow. So that case against Andy was dropped too. This is quite long-winded, I'm realising now. Sorry, but it's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, if it's on Reddit, it's got to be true. It's true. It's true. Several of us went to the cops saying, yo, Josh, who went missing, was last seen with Andy, who's a murderer. Maybe you should check that out. Despite a fair amount of pestering, nothing ever came of it. And by nothing, I mean that the police mostly didn't even return our calls and once Mm. accidentally cancelled the bulletin on Josh because he's alive and well and living in the next town over, they say. He wasn't. Oh, Jesus. He was actually in the chimney of an abandoned cabin, like two blocks from his parents' house. So you can tell these aren't my words. This is the words of the Reddit user. Yeah. The coroner said the body had been there for about seven years and ruled the death accidental, concluding that Josh had probably climbed down the chimney in an attempt to break into the house and gotten stuck, which, given the age of the corpse, doesn't seem overly ridiculous, except for the fact that in addition to Josh having last been seen with Andy immediately before his stabbing spree, people called in to report having heard rumours that Andy was bragging about having put Josh in a hole. Somebody had ripped a heavy bar off the wall, that's the the breakfast bar, off the wall in the kitchen and propped it against the fireplace. Or the fact that Josh's stuff was already inside the cabin, meaning A, he'd already broken in and would have had to lock himself out to have to go for the chimney. And B, he might have noticed that either the flue or the big bar would have prevented him from getting in through the fireplace. Or the fact that when he was found, 
Josh's knees were above his head, which sounds to me like he would have had to have gone in head first. Or maybe the fact that Josh was barefoot and naked from the waist down. This is just my opinion, but I don't care who you are. You don't try and climb head first into a chimney via a hole rusted through a metal grate with your dick hanging out. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I'm with you. I'm there. Yeah. I hear you. Exactly. Ultimately, this poster says, all I'm saying is I wish they had done some police shit, open an investigation, try and track down some leads, interview some of the folks who've been calling in tips for the last seven years. All of this. Don't just dust off your hands and say accidental. So he does reveal the suspect's full name, which I'm not going to say just in case it wasn't him. And I don't want to get in trouble. But he did say that the chap who he said was responsible was arrested on suspicion of a fatal stabbing in New Mexico and is currently serving time. So the man's in prison. We don't know if it was him. We don't know, if, you know, what the hell happened, misadventure, or it does sound suspicious. Poor chap. Poor it Josh. It does. But you know what? That Reddit user has a lot of good points. Especially when you think about that cabin falling to pieces, rotting. It's not that hard yeah. to break into it, right? No. And if the clothes were already folded up and inside, dude's already been inside. Yeah. What's he doing going outside again? With no trousers on. With no trousers on. If he got in the first time, he can get in a second time. Yeah. I think he was just really unfortunate to come across somebody who meant to do him harm although the coroners do say it was more than one person oh that's it, had, it, it had to be more than one person to get him into the chimney which is awful for the family and i'm so sorry but that is the mysterious death of joshua maddox in a chimney holy shit thank you thank you ren grim grim so michelle that's about all we've got for this episode I know, we've been on a whirlwind of... On a uh, whirlwind journey. I wish I'd known you were doing Marilyn Monroe. I love those stories about, you know, her life and not so much her death, but it is interesting, all of the conspiracy theories surrounding it. And the fact that she was so tight in with the Kennedy crowd. Listeners, you love Marilyn and you want to know more about why all of these men treated her so badly. We're going to do an extra for you on Patreon. So if you want to listen to that, you got to sign up. Sign up. I'll listen to that. I'll sign up. (laughs) (laughs) Except I will have heard it firsthand. Exactly. But you know, Geordie, apart from that, I really do think there's only one thing left to say. Well, about three things to say, and that is wherever you are, whatever you do, just just keep keep eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, 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 e